0: Appreciate all the work that goes along, on around here. We asked for some help on Wednesday night, and a bunch of the college students stayed after and helped put up the flags. I appreciate that. People working on this around this property all the time. Connor came and if you noticed did you notice the steeple? Uh, how white it is. Uh, Connor came out and sprayed all the whatever was on there off of it, and it's got to get painted here in the next little while. And people are ready to do that. Appreciate all. I did have a dream though. There's moss in the top of that steeple. And so at the very point, and so somebody's got to go up there and caulk the top of that so the wasp can, and I had a dream that I was up there on a ladder and then the steeple fell off while I was up there. <laughs> we hope that that's merely a dream. <laughs> at the same time, I dreamed that one of my favorite restaurants that we go to, uh, they always stop and they play music that I would not, I do not appreciate, but I dreamed last night that they stopped and they all stood up and sang, praise God from whom all blessings flow. So... <laughs> I think they're part of the same dream here, we hope. <laughs> Thank you, Levi, for that. Luke chapter number 14. We'll begin reading at verse number 25. Luke fourteen twenty-five, And there went great multitudes with him, and he turned and said unto them, If any man come to me and hate not his father and mother and wife and children and brethren and sisters, yea, in his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Whosoever doth not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And which of you intending to build a tower sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest happily, after he hath laid the foundation, is not able to finish it. And all that behold it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build And was not able to finish. Or what king going to make war against another king sitteth not down first and consulteth whether he be able with 10,000 to meet him that cometh against him with 20,000. Or else while the other is yet a great way off, he sendeth ambassadors and desireth conditions of peace. So likewise, whosoever he be of you that forsaketh not all that he hath, he cannot be my disciple." Salt is good, but if the salt hath lost its savor, wherewith it shall be it seasoned? It is neither fit for the land nor yet for the dunghill, then men cast it out. He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. In the early 90s, a bunch of guys from this church started playing paintball together. As I look out in the crowd, there's actually quite a few of you still here who were playing paintball at that time. We played quite regularly and actually formed kind of a club at that time. In order to make things a little bit easier, we decided to, some of us decided to invest in the stuff that everybody would need and we would sell it on the field where we were playing. And the idea wasn't to make a bunch of money, but... Uh, to have it available to anybody who was playing. So if you needed something, it was there. And to make enough money just to make it worth your time. So my investment happened to be the refill station for the CO2 bottles that we used. It was actually a fairly heavy investment, all of that equipment. And I'll just have to say right off the bat, it was a financial disaster for me. (laughs) Not only was there no profit in it, there was, or no, not, not lots of profit, there was no profit in it, actually. It was going out as a loss. It was a good thing for the group, but for me personally, it was a financial loss every time we did it. So one day I was bemoaning my losses, as a Dutchman would, and one of the other people who had invested was a teenager. And he was over there, and he says, I made $120 today. Okay, well, that's like salt in the wound right there. <laughs> and then in my mind, I started calculating. There is no way in the world that he made $120 today. And so I said, that's impossible. And he pulls out of his, his pocket, he counts them off $120. And then he starts listing off who all he sold stuff to. And sure enough, it added up to $120. And then I started doing the math. That's my job, I'm a mathematician. And so I started doing the math and I asked a very important question. What exactly did you pay for all of the stuff that you sold? So then we started doing that math and it turns out he made $7. <laughs> Do you see the difference? He had invested over $110 in the stuff that he had sold and yes, he had $120 in his pocket, but the fact of the matter is when he actually counted it all up, he had made $7. It didn't make me feel a lot better, but some better, okay? <laughs> I was in the negative, he was in the positive, but we all understand we hadn't got all quite, all of the equation together. We hadn't counted quite all of the costs. My brother Steve was renting a building down near Albia one time. So I went down there to see him and I started, it's a really nice building. And I said to him, what is this building, Steve? He said, well, the guy that built it borrowed the money from the bank to make a, it was some kind of a farm store, I believe. And when he got it all built, he had forgotten to borrow the money to put stuff in it for all the merchandise. So when he went back to the bank to borrow the money for the merchandise, the bank said, we're not loaning you that much money. And so the store never actually opened because there was no money to put the stuff in it. Somebody had forgotten to count the costs. Do you understand where we're at here? This is really, in in essence, what this passage of Scripture is talking about. When we consider being a disciple of the Lord Jesus, we are told that we are to count the cost. And this is the title of the message this morning, Counting the cost. Let's pray. Father, we bless your name. It is our privilege to be here. It is our privilege, a privilege that we do not take for granted, Father, that we have a copy of your word. And we are so thankful the Spirit is here to teach us from it. For we desire to know what it says, we desire to know what it means, and we desire for it to change our lives and conform us to the image of our blessed Savior. For we ask this In his precious name. Amen. In the passage of scripture that we read, we are commanded commanded to count the cost of following Christ before we decide to be a disciple. Everything in life has pros and cons. Everything in life has credits and debits. And a wise person will take some time to do some figuring before he jumps into anything, anything in life. You ought to figure out, okay, what's this going to cost? What's this going to benefit me? And we ought to do that on everything. And following the Lord is no different. And the Lord tells us straight out, before we follow the Lord, before we follow him, we better do some calculating before we decide to do so. No, it's easy to maybe look at one side of the ledger and make a decision. It's easy to get it, okay, I made $120 here without looking at both sides of the ledger. But it's important that we count all of the costs involved before we start. Now, before we get started into this, let me tell you that talking on this topic is like helping someone set up a budget. Have you ever tried to help someone set up a budget? Glass eyes, glass eyes. Does anybody even know what I'm talking about? A budget. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's just not trying to pay the credit card, figuring how to pay the credit card at the end of the week. That's not how that goes, a budget. Okay, If you ever had tried to help somebody set up a budget? Okay, you can give them the generics, the, the overall categories. But you know, everybody's life is different. And to try to set up someone else's budget for them, there are just too many different little variables in there. Everybody's financial picture is different and therefore it's hard you cannot set it up specifically for them you can only walk them through the process as it is here we can get you the basics the generics but everybody's situation is different and therefore your cost for following Christ will be different so know that as we go through this but if we count if we're going to count the cost of following the Lord I think there's three main categories that we need to consider The three main categories, and Spurgeon almost always gave his outline ahead of time, so I'll give you my outline ahead of time. The three main categories that you have to consider in counting the cost. One, what has it already cost the Lord? Two, what will it cost you to follow the Lord? And three, what will it cost you if you don't follow the Lord? I think those are three legitimate categories that have to be examined here as we're counting the cost about following the Lord. So here we go, number one. What has it already cost the Lord? I'm sure that when the average person contemplates following the Lord, they don't figure this cost into the equation, but you should. Because this is by far the greatest expense that went into the question. When you're considering it, this is the greatest expense. What has it already cost the Lord? On your own, ask yourself this question. On your own, were you in any shape to follow the Lord? On your own, were you in any shape to follow the Lord? When Adam was first put in the Garden of Eden, he was, of course, sinless, and as such, he could follow the Lord. His cost, if Adam would have been considering the cost, his cost would have been never having the knowledge of good and evil. That would have been Adam's cost. If he would have had to count the cost, Adam would have said, okay, in order to follow the Lord, I cannot ever have the knowledge of good and evil. Now, how many here are saying, I wish I didn't have that knowledge? Isn't that the, bad choice, Adam. He could have followed the Lord, but instead he chose the knowledge of good and evil. That was his counting the cost, and he didn't count quite right. After he ate the fruit, sorry, after Eve ate the fruit, what was Adam's cost? The cost of following the Lord would say, I'm going to have to let Eve go. She has chosen to not follow the Lord, and he would have had to let her go. Well, let's be realistic. It was God that said to Adam, it is not good that man should dwell alone. That's why he made Eve. If Eve would have been taken off the scene for having eaten that fruit, it's hard for me to imagine that God would have said, okay, Adam, now you've got to tough it out for following me. I think there would have been, God would have made another woman or something. There would have been something happened there. Okay, God would have taken care of that. But this was Adam's cost, and once again, he chose not. He figured the cost was too high to follow the Lord, and so he gave that up. But all that's actually merely academic, because Adam, because Adam didn't choose to follow the Lord. Through him, our race was corrupted. And you did not start from the same place that Adam did. You were born dead in trespasses and sins. That's where you were. Adam started out square one. He had a choice here. He was sinless. He could have followed the Lord. You weren't born in that spot. You were born because of Adam's sin. You were born in trespasses and sin. Now, try to get your mind to wrap around this. What would it take to make it possible for you to be a follower of the Lord? What would it take to make it possible for you to be a follower of the Lord? Let me give you an illustration. This illustration has some problems, but at least it gets our mind going in the right direction. Suppose you needed a car. And so you went to one of the local salvage yards to get one. And in the back of the salvage yard, there is a Yugo. How many remember the Yugos? Okay, you got to be, were the Yugos in the late 80s, early 90s? Something in that neighborhood, right? Mid-80s, okay, so for those of you who don't understand what a Yugo is, it was, I believe, made in Yugoslavia, Hence, the name. It was, what, $5,000 to drive it off the lot brand new, right? Something like that. It was so cheaply made that if you slammed the door too hard, it totaled it, and it might total the Yugo sitting next to it. Okay? <laughs> they were absolute <laughs> junk cars. So here in the back of this lot is a Yugo, only this Yugo has been hit by a dump truck full of concrete. So there it sits. It kind of has that look, have you ever seen a pop can that's been run over by a semi? That's kind of what this Yugo looks like. And you say to the the mechanic who works at the salvage yard, what will it take to get that thing on the road? (laughs) And that mechanic would look at you and say, that is impossible. There you go. There's where you started. What would it take to make you able to choose to follow Christ? And everybody would have to look at you and say, that is impossible. It just cannot be done. You are too far gone. This is the condition that you were in. Wrecked and ruined by sin. Following the Lord was an impossibility. And then we have two of the sweetest words ever put into Scripture. But God. But God. Here it is an absolute impossibility for you to ever follow the Lord. But God. The impossible will be made possible, but it's going to cost a great deal. And who's going to pay that debt? God Himself. So, what did it cost to get you back into shape to where you could even follow the Lord? Well, who can calculate the cost of God the Father sending His Son from heaven? Who can estimate the cost? of watching that son be mistreated for over 30 years by miserable little creatures? Who can determine what it was like to place the guilt of every foul, wicked, heinous sin on your perfect, beloved son? What does it cost to turn your back on your only son and create a breach in the perfect unity of the Trinity? Can anyone figure what it would cost to put your own son to death on a cross? That's the father's expense. What about the son? What does it cost to leave the glory of heaven and live in a sin-cursed place? What does it cost to be constantly hounded, reviled, and taken advantage of while the devil is working all of the time trying to make you stumble? What is it like to take a snow-white dove and submerge it in a cesspool? That would be the less cost than what it costs to have the sin of the whole world smeared on the spotless Lamb of God. My friend, great drops of blood that came out of his forehead will give you some idea of what it cost To carry that sin to, Gol- to Golgotha by way of a mocking court Corrupt politicians, jeering crowds, scourgings, mocking soldiers, crowns of thorns, and the hammering of nails fastening you to a rough wooden cross is a cost that no man can estimate. When the sky goes black and you hear the Lord Jesus cry out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? You get a glimpse of what it costs to even make it possible for you to be a follower of Christ. You weren't some pristine, new-on-the-showroom-floor show car. You weren't some low-mileage vehicle that's just got a dent in the front fender. You weren't even a hit-hard front in the front-end Chevy 4x4 truck that needs major overhaul. You were a smashed, flat Yugo that wasn't worth anything to begin with. And God paid the debt. He forwarded the cost to make it possible for you to be a follower. You had no chance at being a follower of the Lord but God. And when you go to count the cost of following the Lord, you'd best figure that into the equation. For the lion's share of the cost was borne by the Lord Jesus himself, that it is what it has already cost for you to be a follower. And that is, my friend, part of the equation. The second part of the equation is, what will it cost you to be a follower of the Lord? What will it cost you to be a follower of the Lord? Now, we all know here, or should know, that salvation is a free gift. The Lord Jesus paid your sin debt on the cross and he offers salvation free as a free gift to everyone. It is possible to take that free gift without technically being a follower of the Lord every day. But I'm here to tell you this was not what God had intended. I have to say that the line between Christ as your Savior and being a follower of Christ is so thin that I would not want to live on the difference. But many people attempt to do so. Salvation is free, but there are costs to following Christ. Let me list a few of them this morning, and I never alliterate my outlines, but this morning they all start with the letter P. Number one. It will cost you your pride. What is the cost of following the Lord? It will cost you your pride. You cannot be a true follower of Christ on a daily basis and expect to keep your pride. It just cannot be done. How could it even be possible? If the only begotten Son of God took on flesh and lived in absolute humility, how could we, his followers, expect anything less? And why would you want to? Why would you want to? Do you know pride is the most expensive thing that you have? You know how you have to maintain everything that you own. Pride is the most expensive thing that you have. It is pride that causes your problems at work. It's your pride that gives you trouble with your wife. It is pride that insists that you be coddled and pampered and given credit for everything that you do and even for things that you didn't do. If you're going to follow the Lord, it'll cost you this. Because it just isn't honest. I'd like to ask you, what do you have to be proud about? Everything that you have has been given to you. You haven't done anything positive on your own, and you're taking bows for something that you didn't do. And that's not honest. I'm not sure why all the things in this message, most of the things in this message are car-related. But... Maybe there must be a car enthusiast here today. I don't know. I was down with Heidi and Jeffrey, I think it was last year. And Jeffrey does a lot of side work on cars. And so he said, Hey, you want to go with me? I got a side job I got to go to. I said, Yeah, it's fine. I'd like to go. He said, We're going to take a truck and put it on a dyno. I'd never seen that before. It's really interesting if you've never seen that. They take a car, they pull it in, there's rollers in the ground, look like big rolling pins, and you drive the car on these big rolling pins, and they strap the car down, and then they start burning the tires on this thing, ah, and this run it's not going anywhere, but the thing is just running as hard as it can go, spinning on these wheels. Anyway, they're over on a computer, they're altering whatever piece he put in, they're getting this all computerized, programmed as it's running on this thing. So they can do it without running it down the road, they're running on this dyno. Anyway, that's kind of interesting to watch. Now I got to talk about, to Jeffrey about this guy who's this truck, it must have been a truck from the 80s or 90s, it wasn't what I'd call a classic kind of truck, But the guy hadn't, if I understand it right, the guy hadn't inherited a bunch of money. So he bought this truck. Then he hired somebody to fix it up. He hired somebody to paint it. He hired somebody. He had just hired Jeopardy to put this piece on. He used it as a show truck, and he would go to these shows and win shows with it. And he'd be taking bows for his truck. But I got to thinking about that. He never turned a wrench on it. He didn't know how to use Bondo. He didn't know how to paint. He didn't calibrate the engine. He had Jeffrey put the pieces on, and he was doing it with money that he inherited. Just exactly what are you taking bows for? Do you understand? What what have you done here? Inherited money and hired work. Don't knock it. It's exactly what you did. What do you have that you didn't receive. And we're all taking bows with our pride, and the fact of the matter is, what was put into us, we get less out of it than what was put in. We're a negative on the whole equation, and there, my friend, is nothing to take bows over on that. And if you are going to be a follower of Christ, it is going to cost you your pride. Christ lived in humility, and your pride isn't even honest. Number two, it'll cost you your plans. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, it'll cost you your plans. By very definition, a follower cannot have any plans of his own. Get your mind to wrap around that. I sat and marveled about this as I was writing these notes out. A follower, by definition, cannot have any plans of his own. If I say to you, I am going to follow you to your house, once I've made that decision, what choices are mine? I've made that decision. Do I choose the time when we leave? Do I choose the speed that we go? Do I choose the route that we take? By very definition, I cannot have any plans of my own if I'm going to follow you. If you are going to be a follower of Christ, it is going to cost you all of your plans. You say, well, that's a high cost. Well, it must be considered. If you have plans for your life, By definition, you are not a follower of Christ. Number three, it will cost you the practice of sin. If you're going to be a follower of Christ, it will cost you the practice of sin. Look, we live in a sin-cursed world, and we're surrounded by three deadly enemies, the world, the flesh, and the devil. Living without ever sinning is an impossibility. Says, I've said this before, but living without sin in this place is like walking in a white suit through a hog lot. I do not care how careful you are. If you walk through a hog lot in a white suit, when you get to the other side, you're going to find out you got some on you. It's just, that's the way it is. And in living in this world without ever getting any of it on us is an impossibility. But for some reason... God's people seem to think that wallowing in the mud is acceptable behavior. Just because we stand in the righteousness of the Lord Jesus eternally does not give us the right or the option of wallowing in the filth of this world right now. The number of Christians who live in sin is staggering. Not just the outright filth of the world like pornography and alcohol. But any sin that you allow yourself to hang on to is not right. Bitterness, envy, anger, gossip, lust, greed, worry, fear. These are not for the followers of Christ. And if you want to follow him, it is going to cost you the practice of sin. Number four, it will cause you the praise of this world. You're going to follow Christ, it's going to cause you the praise of this world. It's amazing how often the church as a whole, not this church, but church as a whole, want the praise of the world. It doesn't happen very often anymore, but it used to happen quite regularly when some famous person would come to know the Lord. And it would go all over and would be just everybody, oh, did you hear? And so-and-so came to know the Lord. Now, we ought to rejoice over every single person that came to know the Lord. The angels in heaven rejoice over every single person. But they don't single out the famous ones. Do you understand what I'm saying here? So why does God's people, why do they so rejoice that so-and-so came to know the Lord? Because he's a famous person and we don't look like such jerks or weirdos when he comes. Do you see? We, we kind of, hey, they, we're not so weird because see, so-and-so, this famous person came to know the Lord. We are looking for the praise of this world. And my friend, you're going to have to give that up. Because we might as well face it. This world has never, ever been and never will be the friend of grace. Cain killed Abel because he followed God. Noah got in the boat with just his own family. How many of the prophets were killed by giving the God's message? Jesus Christ himself, the sinless one, who lived the word of God exactly, perfectly, was in constant danger of his life even before your sin was placed on him. The church from that point until now has been under constant attack by the world. Why should you expect to be any different? Why would you want the praise of this world anyway? If you want it, you cannot be a follower of Christ and get it. But let me ask you, why would we want that? In 1944, would you have wanted Adolf Hitler to pin pin a medal on your chest? Say, good job. You say, I wouldn't want that. Well, why would you want the world, the enemy of God, to be patting you on the back? It'll cost you to follow Christ, the praise of this world. Number five, the exact opposite is true. We should expect persecution. We should expect persecution. Mark it down. The world's not going to pat you on the back. It's going to kick you in the stomach. The laws of the country here, had for a large degree, have protected us from most of this. But all around the world, my friend, if you don't pay any attention, all around the world, our brothers and sisters in Christ have been being persecuted. Our laws are changing and our society is changing, and we can expect more persecution as the days come forth. We have not been totally without it. Somebody, I was talking to somebody this week who was telling me that they had been mocked who are coming to hear the preaching of the word of God. It happens. It happens. Why? Because the world is not a friend of grace. And you cannot expect anything less than that if you are a follower of Christ. Now, let's be very clear. To the average Christian, they make their decision based on those, counting the cost of those five things. They look at their pride, they look at their plans, they look at their sins that they're practicing, they look at the praise of the world, and they look at persecution, and they count the cost and say, you know what? On the base of those five things, let me do some quick math here, I calculate, and nope, the cost is too high. My profit margin on not following is much better. The tragedy of that is because it's like a teenager, that teenager who sold $120 worth of paintballs. They forgot to add in all the costs. They forgot what it already cost the Lord to even make following possible. That alone is enough to balance any ledger, what Jesus Christ went through on your behalf. No matter what else it costs, that is enough But there is another cost that they forget to factor in. And number three, what will it cost if I don't follow? What does it already cost the Lord? What will it cost me if I do? And number three, what will it cost if I don't follow? These factors almost never get factored in, which is also a tragedy. Again, there's a lot here, and we can only list a few of them, but let me give you those few. Number one, you will miss the close personal life with God that he intended. You will miss the close personal life with God that he intended. When God put Adam on the planet, he did not put there intending Adam to just be all by himself. He put Adam there fully intending to fellowship with Adam all of the time on a very daily basis to to walk with Adam and talk with Adam and fellowship with him. To have a close personal daily relationship with Adam. When he came and redeemed you from sin and destruction, he did so that you could have that sweet fellowship together. That's why he did it. So that you could have sweet fellowship in this life as well with him. Now the reason most Christians count this of very little value because most of them have never experienced it. I love old hymns. I am not a songwriter. I wish I was, but I'm not a songwriter. But I so I love to read old hymns. And the reason that I love to do this is because what these people who were songwriters express, they express what my heart would if it could write songs, if it could tell about the Lord. That's what it would say. And so I love reading it because it's saying what my heart would say if it just had the tongue to say it. And when you read that, you read those words of people who have walked with the Lord down through time, and you find in there, that close personal walk with God that is available to you. And most people never get there. Why? Because they never choose to count the cost and they don't figure that into the fact and they say it's not worth it because I want to do these other things, and they never actually get what God had intended for them, that close personal walk. If you don't follow, if you do not follow Christ, it will cost you the precious gift, of living in his presence. Number two, if you don't follow Christ, you're going to have to pay the price of sin. If you don't follow Christ, you're going to have to pay the price of sin. Now hold it. Grab your mind and bring it back because you don't misunderstand me here. Do not misunderstand what what I'm saying. Christ paid the eternal penalty of sin and that is done and you don't have any part of that. There's no way you can pay for that. But hear me now, sin does have a built-in price. I will not ask for a raise of hands today. But if I did ask for a raise of hands, and I asked you, and do not raise your hand, but if I did ask for a raise of hands and said, how many of you have scars from sin in your life? I dare say that every hand in this room would raise. My hand would be raised and say, I have scars from sin in my life. Now, when did you get those scars? You say, well, that, did, they, did they all happen before I got saved? I got saved at the age of nine or before. All my scars came after. And I still have them. Why? I'll tell you why. Because sin has a built-in payment. There is a cost to sin. And everybody in this room knows that that is true. So how does it work? Well, a follower of Christ gets led around most of these dangers. He gets led through this minefield that we call life. And you know what? When you're not paying attention every time and then, you drift off, you know what I mean? And you get hit. But Christ will lead you through. If you pay really close attention, you'd miss almost all of it, maybe all of it. But when you decide to not be a follower of Christ, guess what? You're on your own. And you walk through this minefield we call life, and everybody here will say, you get some mighty big scars. That was my, I wish I wouldn't have done that. That was a mighty high cost for not following. So when you go to factor all this in, remember... If you're not not following Christ, you're going to have sin that has to be paid for. Number three, if you don't follow, what's the cost? Your family will pay the price. If you don't follow, your family will pay the price. Do I need to even mention this? Can you not see this in the truth around you? Can you not just look around and see how true that this really is? You find someone who lives this kind of half-hearted, wishy-washy Christian life. You know, here's what I found. It all looks like it doesn't make much difference when the kids are little. And when they get to be teenagers, you start to see a few cracks in this, and you think, ooh, I'm not sure about this. And then they get into being be young adults, and you realize... Yikes, there's a lot higher price tag to my wishy-washy Christian life than what I thought. My friend, godliness is an inheritance. If you look back, if you look on your life one way or the other, you look back and you say, I have a godly heritage or I have an ungodly heritage. Each one of you inherited. And it is the one thing now that you can pass down to your kids. A godly heritage is something that they need. And it affects our families when we do not follow Christ. It affects the people around us. It affects our families and rolls downhill on them. Look at your family history. A godly heritage is an inheritance, and so is an ungodly one. And it's the one really valuable thing that you can hand down to your children. Number four, what does it cost if I don't follow? If you don't follow... The lost world will pay the price as well. You want to bleed a little bit? Look at the passage of Scripture. Almost too painful to even look at. Verse number 28. For which of you intending to build a tower, sitteth not down first and counteth the cost, whether he have sufficient to finish it, lest haply after he hath laid the foundation is not able to finish it all that it behold it all that behold it shall begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. I knew some people a long time ago who started a house. They got to working on the house. They got the foundation in. They got the deck on it. And then life got a little busy for them. And so they'd work on it every now and then. And so, I don't know, this was in elementary school, and it was still not done when I, I think when I was in college, they finally finished it. You've all seen these kinds of projects. And what do they stand as a testimony as you drive by? Everybody looks like, <laughs> Brother, why did they do that? Right? They should have just waited until they had the time or the money to do it. And you know, everybody's like, it stands in the neighborhood as a monument. Right? Do you understand what I'm saying here? And this is exactly what the scripture says about us. When we take the name of Christ and decide part way in that the cost is too high and we're not willing to pay it and that we stand as a testimony to the world that God isn't worth it. The cost is too high and we become a mockery to the world a mockery against God it drives men from the Lord you know what the reality would be it would have been better for the world if you had never gotten saved aren't those hard words it would have been better for the world if you had not gotten saved. Because you stand as a testimony when you will not follow Christ. You come to know him as Savior, when you will not follow him. You stand as a testimony mocking the Lord. And it would have been better for the world had you not gotten saved. And My friend, that is a mighty high cost for not following. If you're here today and you don't know Christ as your Savior, our one great despair here would be that you would somehow look at us and say, Christ isn't worth following. Our one great heart cry for you this morning is that you would understand that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And there is nothing apart from the Lord Jesus. He is the most valuable thing that we have. And our relationship with him is more valuable than life itself. And we would beg of you this morning to come to Christ. And our great despair of life for the majority of the people here would be that if you would look at us and say, I wonder if Christ is worth anything or not. Our great heart cry for you this morning is that you would come to Christ. And we would beg you on hands and knees to do so. And I ask you this morning, if you're here this morning and you don't know Christ, would you not come to him today? Would you not take him as your Savior? He is your only hope of salvation. This morning I'm very thankful to be part of a church where most of the followers, a great deal of the followers of Christ, a great deal of the people who are attending here are actually followers of Christ. If you're here this morning and you're kind of going back and forth, make sure that when you figure, do all your figuring, make sure you figure what Christ has already paid. When you figure out what it costs to follow, and we'll figure what it costs if you don't, make sure you figure in everything when you're counting the costs. Let's pray.